I wonder if anybody here, like me, ever has dreams of flying. Anybody? Yeah, a few people. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations now and imagine that you have been given the opportunity to be a bird for a day. Which bird would you choose? Think about it, and then if you want to, just tell someone next to you which bird you would choose and why. Don't worry, it can be as wacky as you like. I'm not going to test anybody and ask them. Maybe you want to be an eagle, king of the air, and all he surveys. Or maybe an ostrich <laughs> running across the African plain, faster than a horse, how about that? Or a sparrow, maybe. Loads of friends, loads of family, always with people, that kind of thing. Well, that's a, that's a question that therapists, what, sparrows? <laughs> yeah, they do, yeah, yeah. Was that what you want to be then? Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a question that uh, therapists sometimes use just to, find out what people would like for their lives. Here's another question that therapists sometimes ask. What sort of bird do you feel that you are like? And uh, I don't want you to think about that one because that can actually take many hours of discussion to, <laughs> to work through. It's quite an interesting one. Um, but I, uh, I just, uh, just reveal that when I was uh, about 10, a little boy said to me, oh, he's just like a stork. Oh. I was at, f at, from at home from boarding school and I didn't have any friends and I was trying to make friends. And, and, uh, but uh, for, for a few years, I would never wear shorts after that. <laughs> but now I walk around in shorts quite happily. I refuse that name of stork. Okay, so, well, uh, that was sort of my way of introduction. But I was, I was thinking about birds when I saw something in the, uh, the garden the other day and I have formed a theory, which is not a really, you know, don't really follow this theory, but you might rather like it. People are either doves or chickens. That's my little theory. And immediately you can think, well, doves are lovely, they're cuddly, they coo, they're pretty, they fly about. And chickens are a bit, well, they're like scaredy cats, scaredy chickens running away, earthbound. Well, there's a little bit more to it I'm going to offer later on, but uh, I'll just tell you why I thought about this um, I was looking out at the wind in our garden the other day when it was a really windy day and there was a, a fir tree in the next door garden. It was about as high as the roof here and it was bending around and right at the top of it there was a collar dove and it was holding on to the bough. It went right over the top and it, I'm going to have to um, stop holding the microphone for a minute. I'm going to put it here. holding on and it seemed quite happy with it no matter what whoosh, whoosh, there it was and then in a little lull of the wind it just let go and dropped down to the earth 
I thought, I think God's saying something to me in this with this little dove. And um, I was comparing it with something else. Imagine another bird sitting on top of that tree. What sort of bird just wouldn't do very well up there? And that's when I came up with chicken. Because it, A, it wouldn't actually, the bar would sort of bend down and it wouldn't be able to do it. But chickens just don't beyond belong up in the air, do they, like that? They belong down on the ground. And I began to think to myself, that's a bit like the spiritual life. We're either like doves or we're like chickens, which is, I'm going to unfold this a little bit more later on. Um, Romans 8, if you're familiar with Romans 8, verse 6, talks about um, we are either controlled by the spirit or controlled by the sinful nature. And it says the sinful nature is death, but the life of the spirit is life and peace. That's what we want, isn't it? We want life and peace. But in the chapter before that, Romans chapter 7, if you know it, Paul is there agonizing. He's saying, oh, the good that I want to do, I really want to do it, but I can't because there's something else working in me that makes me do the things I don't want to do. And as I was reading that and thinking about it, it occurred to me that there is a little bit of a dove and a pigeon, sorry, not a pigeon, a chicken in all of us. And I thought, oh, I want to be like that dove. I want to be flying with the spirit. And, I, and why is it that so often I find myself thinking thoughts that are much more of a thought that a chicken would think than a dove? The, the enemy throws at me in response to things. I don't want to be like that. How can I be troubled? How can I be better? <laughs> Sorry. Um, and I was actually, I was thinking of a, a chicken that we used to have called Lucy. And Lucy's not here today, so I can say this. And Lucy, our chicken, could fly quite high. She used to go up into the tops of trees, but she's really useful because chickens don't gen generally tend to do that. Um, and I'm sorry to say that one Christmas we ate her for Christmas lunch because she wasn't doing what chickens are supposed to do. She wasn't really laying eggs. She was flying up into trees. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that one in. <laughs> so the question is, how can we avoid being chickens, how can we avoid finding ourselves moved into temptation to behave as if we are not children of God, as if we don't know how to fly and soar on the wings of the Spirit? And I'm going to use the story that Tim was talking about in the Old Testament um, to talk about faith. And it's all about faith. Uh, the series is Mountain Movers, and as Tim was saying, with faith, we can move mountains, can't we? The Bible says it, and it's true. And how much we need to cling on to faith because there's so much temptation in the world for us today. Even if life is not difficult for us, it's still so easy to wander away from the life that God wants us to lead. So, I am going to go back about 600 years before Christ. I was trying to work out the exact date, but it's really quite complicated what happened to Jerusalem at the end of, uh, before the exile happened. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use Daniel's chapter 1 to 3, and I'm going to use, I'm going to read parts of them. And it's going to come up on the screen, but if you want to follow in your Bibles as well, you're welcome to do that. And it's going to set the scene 
of Judah's exile. Now, Judah is the southern kingdom of the two parts of Israel after the split. If, you, if you're not really familiar with that, Israel was split in a ridiculous way. The, the devil helping everyone to behave like chickens. Uh, and Israel, the northern bit, was exiled by Assyria about uh, 100 years before the southern bit, Judah, the smaller bit, was exiled, which is this period it's, it's going to cover. They were taken away by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. I think most people know the story, but what I'm going to do is read quite a lot of it because it sets the scene. It helps us to, to know what the people in, in those days were like, what it was like in Babylon, what it was like to be a, an exile, and I think we could relate to that. And then I'll talk about how it affects us today. So hold on to your hats. Here we go. I'm going to read out of Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to go all the way down to uh, verse 17. Then I'm going to summarize a few verses. So here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God let it happen along with some of the articles from the temple of God, which were carried off to the temple of God in Babylon. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, this is Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from royal families and from nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, so they'd be learning all about Babylon. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his table. They were to be trained for three years, quite a long time, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Now among them were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So this is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the intention of Babylonians, anybody else who took somebody into exile by giving them new names, is to give them a new identity which they would gradually fall into. And it would be something like servant of the god of Babylon or servant of certain official. So these names, I looked them up and some of them, the last one, Abednego, was about uh, the god Bendigo or something like that, servant of. So, and it says next, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food. I suppose it might have been pork, I'm not really sure, no idea, but he said, no, I'm not going to do this, and I fancy that he and his friends said, these new names, I am not going to be known by those names, I'm going to be known by my old name, doesn't say that, but I'm just thinking that, that that's probably what would happen. So Daniel asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself by eating the food and drinking the, uh, the wine that was given to them. And fortunately, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official said to him, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned you the food and drink. 
Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would have my head because of it. Daniel then said to the guard, the lower one, whom the chief official had appointed over the four of them, please test your servants. For ten days give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. They had what people call the Daniel fast these days. People try eating just vegetables. Apparently it's really hard work. You do it for 30 days. Then, he said, compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away the choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, miraculously, let it be said, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel was given the ability of understanding visions and dreams. Okay, so far, I'm going to summarize the next few verses down to the end of the chapter. Basically, at the end of their training, they went before the king, and these four were found to be super able, ten times better at remembering things than all the other people. And so they were entered into the king's service. And now I'm going to summarize the first 11 verses of the next chapter, because it's quite long, and it's about a dream. And it's basically saying that the king had a dream and he called into his presence some of the magicians and the advisors and he said, I want you to tell me what my dream was and I want you to tell me the interpretation of it. And they said, oh, nobody can do that. And um, they said to him, basically at the end of those days, oh king, this is unfair. And then I pick it up in verse 12, if you're looking at your Bibles, and it says, This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. And that included Daniel, Meshach, Abednego, and as, as, uh, the other one, Shadrach, thank you. And it appears they, they weren't actually called into the king's presence um, before that, so they wouldn't have known about that. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Seems a little bit unfair, doesn't it? They weren't even given the opportunity to do it, but the king was so cross, he said, they're all useless, kill them all. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put them to death, the wise men of Babylon, to put out to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why has the king said this? Why issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch explained the matter to Daniel. And fortunately, fortunately, Daniel was able to go to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream. And then I'm going to summarize all the way down to verse 45. So Daniel went home and he said to his three mates, pray. We need an interpretation, otherwise we and all these other people are going to die. And that night, God, in his faithfulness, told him what the dream was about. He went back to the king, 
And he told the king that God had shown him what the dream was. And he told the dream to the king. He nodded and said, yes, it was. And he told him it was about the future. It was amazing. And then, this is Daniel speaking down in verse 45. Daniel said, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. But it wasn't very long before the king had another dream. And this was, you think, he'd seen the great God in action. What's going on with him having this other dream and, be, and believing it? And in it, there was a huge, oh, sorry, it wasn't a dream. It was, it was something he did. I beg your pardon. He had a huge gold statue to be made. I beg your pardon. So, why is he making a big statue, which he ordered everyone to bow down before when he played certain bits of music? Well, Daniel didn't do it. Abednego didn't bow down before this statue. And I pick it up at verse 18, and I'm going to read through to the rest. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the zither, the flute, the lyre, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have sent over, set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned them. So these men were brought before the king, and he said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn and flute and all of those instruments, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If the God we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Next few verses. The king was furious 
I'm going down to verse 24 in a moment, and summarizing. He ordered the furnace to be blown super white hot, so much so that the people who threw them into the furnace were killed by the fire themselves. And then verse 24. Then, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, when did three men we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So they came out, and all the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, their houses turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted them in the province of Babylon. It's an amazing story, isn't it? And uh, hopefully you thought it was good going through it like that. Just to kind of get the picture of what it was like in Babylon. The king could just kill anybody he wanted to. And he saw God working. And he bowed down before God. But still he was moved to do ridiculous things. Requiring people to worship a, a God of gold. And those Jewish people, what their faith was like. It was amazing, wasn't it? Well, the question is, what about us? And I want to look at one verse that really stood out for me when I read through that. And it's the verse in chapter 3, verse 18. And it's actually, it's just two words. Even if. And we can be people who are saying, even if something happens. The alternative is to be like a chicken and saying, but what if? We can be people who say, even if God allows this to happen, not, but what if this happens? What's our tendency, though? What if, or why? Why has God allowed that to happen? And uh, we've finished with the, the scripture now, and I want to just have a look at us. Um, and in a way, you kind of have it there, a dove or a chicken, even if the dove still flowing in the Holy Spirit. What if the chicken running scared? So how can our faith be lifted up to be like the faith of those men in Babylon? I'm going to have a look at that and apply it to us as individuals, but also think about how we as a church can be built up in faith so that we are able to withstand the storms of life. Well, let's think about what... Uh, those three friends of Daniel and Daniel himself alike. Uh, 
they knew about God's dealings with Israel, didn't they? They would have known the history of, of Israel. They were royalty or they were nobles, so they would have known about the history. They would have known about what Tim was talking about last week, slavery, and then the release from slavery. They would have known about the greatness of King David and Solomon. And they would know, of course, that God had ordained the exile through the disobedience. And they would also have a promise that had been given to them by the prophets. They would only be for a certain period. And it was even said to be 70 years. So they knew that God was the God who was probably going to bring them out of the exile in Babylon. They knew all about that. They knew God's character, that he was loving and is loving, but he's also righteous. His righteous judgment was exercised in sending them into captivity and exile. But his loving care gave them the promise that they would be released and brought back at the end of the 70 years. They would have known who they were as well. And um, our six-year-old granddaughter is really enjoying learning how to tell jokes at the moment. So I'm going to try out a little joke on you at this point. It's called the polar bear joke. You might have heard it. Baby polar bear says to mummy polar bear, mummy, am I really a polar bear? And mummy says, of course you are, darling. Why? I'm freezing. We'll see if Eva gets that one. See if you get it a bit later on as well, some of you. Um, but those people knew who they were. They knew that they were the names that they'd been assigned at their birth, not the new names that had been given to them by the Babylonian administration. And they experienced in Babylon some of the things that I've just read out. They experienced God's revealing of, of wisdom, giving the, the interpretation of the dream, and actually the words of the dream to Daniel. And they're being promoted and, and uh, kept healthy, even though they were eating vegetables and not eating all the lovely food from the table. Uh, they would have um, seen in themselves their increase of wisdom and understanding and known that God was working. So they were certainly able to have faith because they could see God working. And they would have known the words of Scripture. Uh, we've read it out in, in the church before. Psalm 103 has such wonderful things talks about the God who forgives, who heals all our diseases, who redeems our lives from the pit, crowns us with love and compassion, who desires, satisfies our desires with good things. They would know those scriptures and know that God did it and he could do it. So their faith was strong. And the question is, what about us today? How's your faith? Do you know that you're a child of God and that he fills you by his spirit and everywhere you go, you have this enormous God behind you, holding you up, at your back, leading you forward? It's a truth we need to grab hold of when we're faced with all sorts of things that we're faced with. But that's the truth. In fact, our relationship with God is even better than they were in the Old Testament. They were servants of God. Israel was the children of God, but now we've been reborn as his individual children. He knows us so intimately. What a comfort that is. We've been bought at a priceless payment, the death of Jesus, the shedding of his blood. We are no longer at war with God. We can be at peace with him. More than 
those guys in those days knew. We can glory in the hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 says, And we exult, in my mind, we jump about with excitement at the hope of the glory of God. Because God will come back glorious and will make us like him. We will be. Not yet, but it's coming. And he's transforming us even now. And here's the challenging next verse in Romans 5. And not only so, but we glory in our troubles because we know that they produce perseverance, character, and hope. You read it out the other day, didn't you? That's what God's doing. It's difficult to hold on to that sometimes when we're going through troubles, but it's the truth. We can glory that we are like a dove. We can fly with the Holy Spirit. Even if, those words, even if God allows unpleasant things to happen to us. Because we know that he's trustworthy. We've heard it said so many times. We just need his help to know it. And happily, he's willing to give us that help. If you know Ephesians 2, you'll know that there's a verse in there that says... It is through grace we have been saved by faith. And this is not your own faith. It's God's faith working in you so that nobody can boast. We don't even have to work it up. He gives it to us if we ask him to. That's what he's done for each, each one here who is his. He gives the strengthening by his spirit, giving us, giving us faith. We can rest in God there were some lovely verses that we, or a lovely verse, I think it was, that was um, put on the, the post after our prayer meeting last week from uh, Isaiah 30, verse 15. See if I can remember it. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. God strengthens us when we are with him in peaceful dwelling with him. He gives us certainty about his heart for us. We need to practice that more and more. We need to pray more and more because that's where our strength comes from. It also comes from knowing God's will. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew that God cared for them and they knew that he was on their case and they knew that if they died in the fire, that was okay because his will would have been allowed. They, they had faith so strong to know that. Can we be like that? We need to actually work out what God's plans are so that we can pray them into being rather than just saying, well, whatever happens. Because God reveals his will and requires us to pray to bring it into, into being sometimes. And he doesn't want bad things to happen to us, but we allow it sometimes by not praying. It's really confusing, but it's, that's the truth of it. We have a part to play, praying, we have a part to play in knowing what God's like too, through his word. Knowing his will uh, and his ways, how faithful and good he is. And we need to be strengthened so that we can encourage others. There's some good verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that talk about people um, encouraging each other or comforting each other with the comfort they've received from God. So if you feel comforted, then look for someone else to comfort, because that's what we do together. Let's have a look at us as a church. That was individuals, but together, we are 
a body being built up together. In Ephesians 2, it talks about us being built up to, to be a holy temple where the Spirit himself lives. All with our different gifts, all with our different personalities and characters. And we increase each other's faith by encouraging each other, don't we? As we do church together. We can face the future with confidence. And the future, as Tim was talking about last week, and, the, and uh, we've been thinking about it during the week, we wonder what's going to happen here at Jubilee. But we can be confident that we have a God who knows, so we can seek his will. A God who calls us to pray about it, so we can pray about it. And as Tim was talking about, meeting up and praying on a Monday night, and at other times in your home groups, getting together to pray, just a few of you, in each other's houses or in a park, or your friends at work, whatever, to bring to pray for God's will to be done. We can be confident for us because he loves us as individuals and he loves this place as a family of his believers where he's put his spirit working in this place. People talk about coming in here and feeling peace. It's amazing. He's at work here. Seeking his face as a community in prayer, times of worship, like we had this morning, and by continuing to come and encourage each other to come and to face uncertainties. And we can face them with joy because we know that God is at our back and he knows everything that's happening to us and everything that will happen to us. And we have the promises for the future when he returns. And we can jump about in joy even in difficulties, holding on like a dove in the buffeting wind looking as if it was born to be there. Because that's the truth. We've been reborn to be used by God to shine. It was amazing, actually, last week um, in the prayer meeting, we had a time of repentance, and each of the elders spent a bit of time repenting for anything that God was not pleased about, about the past life of this church. And it's so good to do that. It was so good. Because that's what he wants. God wants us to turn away from anything that's caused any difficulties or any hardness of heart or any difficulty in relationships with each other or people who used to be here and have gone or, or whatever in repentance. So that's a good thing to do individually and to continue to do as a, as a church together. So that's what I have to offer. Uh, and I just want to pray and uh, then hand back to Tim and Emma. Lord God, thank you for that story in Daniel, which some people thought wasn't true, it was just a story, but there's real um, unity in the theologians these days in uh, thinking that it was really true and really did happen. What a work, what an amazing thing you did, Lord God. And you've been doing those sorts of things right since then right on through the time of Jesus on the earth, right through to our day today. And you continue to do those things. We praise you for that, Lord. And we know that you will come. We know the future. And you've shown us some of the things of the present and of the near future. And Lord, we trust you for those things that we don't know about. And we ask you to help us to know what we should pray for 
and to give us confidence for the things that we don't know about. Raise our faith, Lord God, please, as individuals, those of us here today and those who are away in all the different places they are, who are people who come here regularly. Lord God, please would you work, strengthen our faith. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this today, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.